We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. Hey folks, I have something a little bit different for you in the days ahead. I'm going on vacation and therefore I will be away from the microphone for approximately eight days. So what I've done is I've gone back and identified the eight most popular episodes of The Rebellion to repost as the best of. So happy 4th of July, and I look forward to rejoining you live on July 12th. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, Naomi Osaka, the second-ranked woman in all of professional tennis, quits the French Open, walks away, refusing to comply with tournament rules to communicate with the media, stating, I have to attend to some self-care. This is the poster child of today's narcissist. We have created a monster, and it is consuming us. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's Rebellion. Today's topic is Naomi Osaka. Now, if you don't follow professional tennis, let me describe to you who this young lady is. Naomi Osaka is the number two ranked woman in all of professional tennis. She's obviously a multi-millionaire, very successful financially and athletically. She's somewhat of a phenomena within professional sports. She's a very unassuming young lady, very introverted. She defeated Serena Williams in 2018 at the United States Open. So this is Naomi Osaka. Again, 23 years old. She's the world's highest paid female athlete, a generational star, a magnetic figure in many ways. Well, she just walked off of the French Open. Why? Because the tournament rules require all athletes, all participants, to answer the questions of the media. And this makes sense, quite frankly, in my view. I mean, if you are a professional administrator over one of these tournaments, if your goal is to get people interested in your sport, which obviously that has to be their goal, because if no one is watching these tournaments, then there's no money to be had. There's no distribution of the winner's prize, because obviously you have to have fans that are attending to the sport, otherwise the sport is meaningless. You're playing in a vacuum. You're just going out into the backyard. No one no one is watching, and therefore no one cares, and therefore there's no money. So these tournament organizers have rules, and one of the rules is, is that all of the players have to engage the media, because in doing so, that accrues more fans as they listen to the interviews as they become fans of given players. Well, Naomi Osaka refused to engage in the interviews. And I'm going to share the story with you as to why she refused to do that, 
why she has walked away from this tournament and some of her claims, some of her emotional baggage that led to this decision. Before I do so, let me remind you that if you would like to subscribe to The Rebellion, you can do so by going to patreon.com backslash D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R, patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper. And today I'm going to be covering an old story, a 2015 story as the context for my critique of Naomi Osaka, and that is my book, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. I'll share with you again a story you've heard repeatedly of how in 2015 I confronted this snowflake attitude, this attitude of me-ism. It's all about me. You can't hurt my feelings. You can't ask me a question in an interview before or after I participate in a sport because your question may make me feel bad. Naomi Osaka said that. That's exactly what she said. So I'm going to share with you this story of Naomi Osaka within the context of Not a Daycare. So go to my website, DrEverettPiper.com, and you can find out how to purchase Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth, and also my most recent book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. Both of these books address this issue in spades. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I will be right back in a couple minutes after we acknowledge our sponsors. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. Here's the story, as it's reported in the New York Times by Pete Carhart. Kaihart, excuse me. The New York Times. Comes out of Paris, says, The week-long confrontation between Naomi Osaka, the second-ranked woman, woman, excuse me, in tennis, in professional tennis, and the leaders of the sport's four Grand Slam tournaments turned bitter on Monday when Osaka withdrew from the French Open, citing concerns for her mental health. The story goes on, clarifies who Osaka is, like I've already shared with you. She's the highest paid female athlete in the world. She's 23 years old. She is a very magnetic figure in her own way, unassuming way, within her profession. And she's ranked number two in the world right now. Well, because of these rules that require all of these participants, these athletes, to engage with the media, and again, I understand it, it's not fun. Some of the interviews can be confrontational. I get that. But... These are things we have to deal with as adults, right? Sometimes you just have to take the tough question. You have to grow up and mature enough to handle it, uh, to volley, (laughs) no pun intended, to stand at the net and be prepared to volley the hard shot back for a winner. But rather than understanding that that skill in tennis is transferable to real life, no, What Osaka did is when somebody hits a hard shot at her head while she's standing at the net, rather than volleying it back for a winner, she's decided that she's just going to walk away. By way of explanation for her decision to leave the tournament. This is a quote. I think now the best thing for the tournament, the other players, and my well-being is that I withdraw. 
so that everyone can get back to focusing on the tennis going on in Paris. Then she went on and clarified that she's been struggling with depression. She had never spoken about her depression publicly before, says this article. But she says now that it began after her 2018 victory over Serena Williams in the United States Open before a boisterous crowd that was firmly behind her opponent. Now listen to that. Here's what we have. A professional athlete that makes it to this level, one of the best athletes in the world, the highest paid female athlete in the world, beats Serena Williams in the United States Open, but the crowd at the Open was behind Serena Williams. So she had to contend with not only Serena Williams, but she had to contend with a crowd that was against her and for her opponent. And she's been struggling with depression since that day, she says. Here's another quote. I have suffered long bouts of depression since the U.S. Open in 2018, and I have had, excuse me, I have had a really hard time coping with that, she said. Now, some of you listening to me today are probably going to get a little nervous. I'm not going to be very compassionate. I'm sorry. I'm going to read her quote one more time. I've suffered with long bouts of depression since the U.S. Open in 2018, and I've had a really hard time coping with that. Close quote. She won. She won. She beat Serena Williams. She won, but she's been suffering depression since that victory because the crowd was for Serena and not for her, and she hasn't been able to deal with it. So anyway, what happened when she walks away from this tournament is that she was fined $15,000 by the French Open's referee, the Open's tournament referee. And then other leaders of the other Grand Slams, the Australian, the French, and the United States Open, Wimbledon, they threatened her with disciplinary action if she doesn't reverse course and if she doesn't comply with the rules. She could even be expelled from competition if she doesn't comply. Now, the reason for the rules, and they're very clear about this, is they say this. They're unified behind saying that we, we must have a common standard for all of the participants. We can't treat anybody differently. Otherwise, we're giving somebody an unfair advantage. If player X doesn't have to interview and player Y does, then player X is getting an advantage because he or she doesn't have to undergo the questioning, doesn't have to deal with criticism regarding their performance or, you know, why did you lose or were you having an off day or it seems that you have difficulty playing on clay and grass and that your strengths, Miss Osaka, lend themselves to playing on the hard court, which is apparently the case for her. Well, she doesn't want those questions. So she said to reporters, <laughs> I was already feeling vulnerable. So I thought it was better to exercise some self-care. 
and skip the press conference. Again, I'm going to read it again to you. I was already feeling vulnerable, so I thought it was better to exercise self-care and skip the press conference. Her sister defended her. her. Her sister, Mary Osaka, who has been a professional tennis player herself in the past, defended her and said that the press asks her sister about her poor performance every time she plays on clay, and it hurts her. That's what she said. The press asks Miss Osaka questions about her poor performance every time she plays on clay, and this hurts her. It brings doubt in her mind. (laughs) Jeez. Oh. Well, how did we get here, people? How did we get here? I think three things. I've talked about it in the tour for my book, Grow Up. I've been asked over and over again, how did we get here? Why are we in this mess? Perpetual adolescence, chronic narcissism, this constant meism where it's all about me. I need to exercise self-care. I'm making a gazillion dollars playing a game, but I can't handle the pressure of people asking me negative questions about my poor performance on clay, and it hurts me. I need to exercise some self-care because when I talk to you people, you put doubt in my mind. How did we get here? Three ways, three causes, the teacher, the preacher, and the parent. I've said a thousand times on this show, ideas have consequences. And there are three entities in every culture throughout the course of human history that are responsible for inculcating the ideas in the next generation. And those three entities are the teacher, the preacher, and the parent. We are the ones responsible for the mess that we see right now. We can't wash our hands of this. When I say we, I'm talking about I'm talking about the gray-haired folks. I'm talking about not 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds. I'm talking about 45-year-olds, 55-year-olds, 65-year-olds. I'm talking about parents and grandparents. When we see this Frankenstein of a monster, this self-absorbed, narcissistic attitude of self-care, and I'm not going to talk to you because your questions are uncomfortable. I don't want to hear those bad things. So I'm just going to walk away. And I'm going to live comfortably with the millions of dollars I've made. When you see this kind of attitude and you, sh- you think, what's going on? I think we need to look in the mirror to some extent and accept some responsibility as teachers, as preachers, and as parents. Teachers are responsible. Our educational establishment is a joke right now. And I'm picking on my own. Some of you are, are in the educational industry. You're a high school teacher, a junior high teacher. You're an elementary school teacher. You're a professor at the collegiate level. And you're offended by what I just said. Well, frankly, too bad. This is my industry. I made my livelihood in the ivory tower. I have the right to criticize my own. And I am. Because I know what's going on. And so do you. Oh, you may be trying very hard to do a good work, and there are some of you out there who are heroes. You're paddling upstream. You're trying 
to do what's right within an industry that's literally lost its mind. An industry that's more interested in teaching gender fluidity than it is 2 plus 2 equals 4. An industry that's actually buying the nonsense, drinking the Kool-Aid that somehow mathematics and accurate answers within mathematics are the product of white supremacy. An industry that's teaching critical race theory more than it is calculus. An industry that's actually more interested in self-actualization rather than self-discipline and self-control. Now, I know that not all of you teachers are buying into this nonsense, but our industry as a whole has. And until we step forward and say, stop it, this is nonsense. It needs to be corrected. We need to teach the basics. We need to teach facts and not prop up feelings. We need to give degrees in actual learning learning what's true and right and real, and not give away diplomas and opinions. Part of the problem is teachers. Another problem is preachers. Preachers are preaching pablum rather than the truth. Preachers are talking about political correctness and being woke more than they are interested in teaching what's right, biblically right, biblically orthodox, passing on the faith with confidence and courage, and clarity. I mean, when you see churches waving the rainbow flag while they're disparaging the Christian flag being waved at a political rally because that's Christian nationalism, then we literally have not just lost our minds, but sold our souls. So, teachers and preachers. But there's another one here and its parents. How's that helicopter parenting working for us? We have coddled our children. We have comforted them. We have protected protected them. And I don't apologize for being a protector of my boys when they were little, but there's a balance here. Protection should be something that stands in the way of evil. And if you want to try to inculcate in my kid something that's evil, like gender fluidity, then I am his protector. I will stand in your way and you will stop. But I shouldn't be trying to protect my kid from every bump and bruise in life. I should be preparing him to deal with those things, to grow up and act like a man and accept the cognitive dissonance that comes with maturity, comes with adulthood, Recognize that a challenge is good and that as iron sharpens iron, one man will sharpen another. And that discipline, discipline, the hard things of life actually come to us because people love us enough to step in our way and say, stop it. That's nonsense. That's not going to work. I'm not going to enable you. I'm not going to tolerate you. I'm going to love you and say, stop. This is... This story of Naomi Osaka is an indictment of teachers and preachers and parenting. Now, I'm going to deal with this story today, and I'm going to deal with it in a subsequent show or two. I have a couple other articles that I want to share with you. I've got an article recently published by Prager University by Abigail Schreier, where she is telling us that middle school girls 
are having an exponential gain in transgender identification. 2% of American high school students now identify as transgender. 2%. And that is an overwhelming increase. An overwhelming increase. Do you know what it was just a handful of years ago? If you'd graduated a decade ago, you never heard of anybody identifying as transgender. Today, if you're in high school, you know people that are identifying that way. And a decade ago, almost all, and that's not an exaggeration, almost all of those who identified as transgender were boys, and they did so at a very young age. That gender dysphoria presented itself at a very young age, not in adolescence, but in kindergarten. At a very young age, today, today, we have 2%, 2% of American high school students now saying that they identify as transgender. Ten years ago, it was 1 in 10,000, or 0.01% of the population. And almost all of the increase is girls who weren't even on the radar ten years ago. Why is that? Again, it goes back to those people responsible responsible for inculcating the ideas in their progeny, the teachers, the preachers, and the parents. We've peddled nonsense to our kids, and those and our kids are suffering chronic narcissism to the extent that their self-care includes bodily mutilation because they don't believe in the physical reality before their very eyes. That's how bad it's getting. I have another story, a story coming out of California that I will talk about this week. This is a story that suggests that mathematics and correct answers in mathematics are the product of white privilege. Yes, you heard that correctly. They're going to change the curriculum in California. Change the curriculum in California so that focusing on correct answers in mathematics is no longer the goal. Well, what the heck is the goal? And if you're not going to teach students that 2 plus 2 equals 4, if you're not going to teach them that mathematics, by definition, is a science of specificity, a science of correct answers, then how in the world are these people going to build a house or design a bridge or build an airplane? If mathematics is subjective, if mathematics doesn't have correct answers, then the planes will fall out of the sky. Like I stand corrected. They will never get in the sky. They won't fly. And your houses will crumble. And your bridges will fall. What in the world? Again, this is our fault. Teachers and preachers and parents. There's another article that I'll share in subsequent shows. And this is a very good one. In fact, I think I'll take an entire show, maybe the next show on this. It's titled Confusing Cure and Disease. It was published on June 7th, 2021 in Quillet. The author is Steve Salerno, and he talks about this mess we're in. He specifically zeroes in on Osaka and her decision 
and he talks about helicopter parenting, how we've determined to shield our kids from every difficulty in life, and how this withdrawal from the French Open by Naomi Osaka is the poster child of the problem we've created. Now, it's interesting. This author talks about this from a psychological perspective, a mental health perspective, and he doesn't he doesn't disparage the fact that people do suffer depression and do suffer mental health crises. And he's not disparaging that at all. In fact, he's very sympathetic to that. He talks about how COVID has increased those who've undergone depression screening by 62% over 2019 numbers. And how suicide has increased or suicide ideation has increased. Between 2007 and 2018, the suicide rate among those 10 to 24 increased by 60%. And this is from the CDC. And how the whole COVID pandemic has jacked those numbers up even further. So he's not disparaging the concern over mental health, but what he does critique aggressively is the self-absorption and the creation of a narcissistic culture via helicopter parenting and overly protected moms and dads, protective moms and dads. He's very specific about that. And he also, by inference, challenges what we've been doing in our schools. And he's spot on. He's absolutely right. Remember in my critique, Not a Daycare, where I had the kid that came forward the college chapel and said that he was offended by a sermon on 1 Corinthians 13, the least offensive passage in all of the Bible. And I responded and I said, my land, if you're that self-absorbed, if you're that narcissistic, if you're that focused on me and mine and my feelings, then you need to go someplace else because we're not going to coddle you. We're going to confront you. We don't want you to feel comfortable. We want you to feel some conflict because we want you to grow up, my land. This is a university. It's not a daycare. It appears to me that in the last six years, since I said that and wrote that, that we haven't learned a thing. It appears to me that the educational establishment has doubled down on the foolishness, the lunacy. And that Naomi Osaka is the poster child of that problem. We've listened to Tony Robbins and Oprah more than we've listened to the Apostle Paul, to James or Jude or Peter or Jesus. We'd rather feel good about ourselves rather than growing up. We'd rather feel safe than recognize the goodness of competition and conflict and iron sharpening iron. We'll talk about this and more in subsequent shows. We'll talk about in times of universal deceit, and this surely is one of those deceptions, that truth, the hardness, the sharpness, the pain of truth is the only rebellion left. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.